Welcome to the nationally syndicated In the Oil Patch radio show with Kim Bellotto, broadcasting from the Port of Corpus Christi studios. Get more on the Port of Corpus Christi at portofcc.com. In the Oil Patch radio show will give you an inside look at the oil, gas, and energy industry and how it affects you from industry experts and government officials right here on the In the Oil Patch radio show. And now it's time for me to welcome back on my guest, the president of the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers and a partner to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, Jason Modlin. Jason, welcome back to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Well, Kim, it's great to be with you today. Well, Jason, I want to touch base real quick uh, on the conference uh, conference that you guys do. It's your annual conference. You guys uh, held it and hosted it in Dallas or Fort Worth area. Um, and it was a sold out packed crowd. Remind our listeners a little bit about uh, the association, some of the benefits that they can get by one attending this annual conference that obviously was sold out. So that's a good ROI on um, the type of investment they make when they join your association. Well, Kim, that's right. We had a, a great show in Fort Worth at the Hotel Drover. The Texas Alliance of Energy Producers serves independent operators in the state of Texas, particularly family run and smaller businesses. And so we got together, heard from some fantastic speakers and, and really uh, provided some fellowship and some business opportunities uh, for independent producers to focus on ways that they can one, grow their business, but two, help to defend it. Um, and that's by talking to their neighbors, that's by talking to folks in the media, and, and that's by really um, uh, advocating and, um, uh really advancing uh texas oil and gas well you know you mentioned uh, a moment ago uh advocating on behalf of the energy industry and that's what the show is going to be about today um we now have uh, opec plus announcing uh last week or so they said they were going to take off or, or not said everybody was leaning towards a million barrels they announced it's two million in a time when we have recession, inflation, loss of Russian uh, uh, product online, and of course, uh, the never-ending assault coming out from the Biden administration on the oil and gas through ESG and uh, financial institutions, I want to, the show, discuss what does this mean for all of us and in different ways and try to put the show in a way that people understand what's really happening because there's a great deal of misunderstanding uh, or wanting to understand more. Uh, and it's kind of impossible because the media is all over the place. So let's start with OPEC plus, which um, consists of, uh, you know, it's it's got Russia in there, of course, Saudi Arabia, but it basically used to be a long time ago, the uh, entity that set pricing. And when Shell came along, Shale, S-H-A-L-E, it kind of changed things and the U.S. became a a producer as well. Talk to me a little bit about that evolution so the listeners understand when we're talking about OPEC plus, what does this mean? Because it's going to be on the show of, of uh, you know, the show is going to have a lot of OPEC plus. So I want to make sure we understand it. Sure. Well, the 30 seconds are that um, oil production globally uh, has largely been from independent um uh, areas of the world, um, and that's where it was refined. Then uh, Texas really took the lead 
in the 1940s, really up until the mid 60s uh, of driving the oil price. They would set the amount of allowable production in Texas. Texas was such a large amount of global production that it effectively set the price of oil. Um, in the 1960s into the 70s, uh, several uh, Middle Eastern countries, but also African, South American countries came together and said, uh, we should be able to do the same thing. Uh, by controlling our rate of production, we can effectively set the price of oil. You're absolutely right. What they never expected was the shale revolution happening right here in Texas. The combination of hydraulic fracturing and horizontal drilling unlocked uh, uh, really an incredible amount of oil and natural gas here in the United States uh, that, that reversed decades-long trends of declining oil and natural gas production. Now, uh, there's far more competition. Uh, we continue to see uh, investments in the Middle East, but we also have uh, Russia, we have Angola, we have other parts of Africa, uh, we have South America. Um, and so I think we'll get into Venezuela a little later, but um, uh, OPEC really uh, this week decided that one, they needed to uh, readjust their books. Uh, they have most of their countries that are not meeting their production quotas. Um, and so what they needed to do is lower those production quotas closer uh, to what those countries are actually producing. So that's about a million barrels. Um, but then they said they're going to go further than that. And so Saudi Arabia, UAE, some of these other areas that still have the ability, still have reserve capacity, they decided that they would curtail and cut an additional million barrels. So it's a two million barrel cut on paper. Uh, in reality, it's only about a million barrel cut. Um, and in response, we'll, we'll see what comes from, from the White House. Um, they're certainly in talks again with Iran, with Venezuela, to potentially get that oil back onto the global market a little quicker. Um, but as of right now, uh, it doesn't look like OPEC is, is taking their phone calls. Well, and that leads me to my next question for you, which is, so the Biden administration did warn OPEC that the production cuts, if they did, uh, would look something close to, I think the verbiage is a hostile act. And I, I don't know about you, but I think that when our administration is saying something like that, that verbiage, is it absolutely necessary to say something like that? Is it proper? Because... A hostile act is kind of leading me to believe we've got some uh, wartime verbiage here going on. And in the past, Jason, wasn't it always that um, the United States was looking to or, or was potentially having to enter into war specifically in the Middle East because we weren't producing? Yet this administration from day one, when they came into office uh, through executive order, canceled the Keystone Pipeline. So isn't this kind of of their own making and so this hostile act verbiage how is how is your organization how are how are you guys taking that verbiage is it necessary well it, 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 i think it is escalatory um uh you recall that earlier in the week as you as you just stated uh the cut was somewhere around half a million barrels to eight hundred thousand barrels um, and then uh, the 
the White House issues uh, their their warning, um, and it goes to one to one point five, then to two, um, and so I I do think that rhetoric is is not helpful. Um, there is a goal to make sure that we have balanced energy markets, that we are producing enough to meet global uh, demand, um, and that right now, frankly, um, uh, we're not doing that. We're not doing that here in the United States, and certainly OPEC is not doing that. Um, and so we're likely to see price increases. Uh, you alluded to uh, some of the conflicts that we've had in the Middle East. Um, uh, there's no question that that has been an allegation from this administration that oil is many times uh, being used as a weapon. Um, uh, the way to counter that is not to uh, give dictators, to give Vladimir Putin higher prices. Um, uh, but it's in fact to unleash uh, American production uh, and our allies in Mexico and in, in Canada um, to compete, uh, to produce more, um, and to have a lower, more sustainable uh, oil and natural gas price. Um, and yet, that is not the goal of this administration. Um, their environmental priorities have taken precedent. Um, and so they would rather see those barrels produced overseas in countries that don't have EPA, uh, that don't have the environmental um, NGOs and, and advocates uh, to, to uh, hold polluters to account. Um, and so uh, it's, a bizarre, it's a bizarre situation. I agree with you because last I checked, we all live on one planet. So what difference does it make if we're producing it here versus China or India, where, like you mentioned, they have very, very little regulatory oversight? Let's let's go. Well, it, it makes a difference in where that money ultimately flows. I mean, the money that we produce here in Texas, uh, it goes to royalty owners. Many of those royalty owners, retired teachers, retired state employees, retired employees across the country, you produce it elsewhere overseas, it might go to a dictator, a petro state, or to fund the war in Ukraine. I mean, that is, that is the dynamic here. Um, and so it's not, it's not a one-for-one -one situation. Right. And I just meant it as if we're going to continue to talk about the environment, which is what the Biden administration is, is talking about. We got to address climate change. My whole thought is, well, if we're going to do that, let's look at it globally. And the United States doesn't have that capacity. Let's take a break. And Jason, when we come back, I want to get back on OPEC Plus. I want you to remind us what happened the last time that OPEC Plus started um, to really tinker with uh, production prices and, and, and what we saw here and how it imploded a lot of uh, the shell revolution that was occurring. Um, so I want to talk about energy prices in the next segment. You're listening to In the World Catch Radio Show. We'll be right back. The annual AAPA Conference and Expo is coming up in Orlando, Florida, October 16th through the 19th, as seaport leaders and marine professionals will gather for networking, technical, and policy sessions. As the seaport's main event of the year, the AAPA Conference and Expo will provide access to the industry's top decision makers, professionals, and experts. If you or your company are interested in sponsoring this year's event, contact Kevin Traver at ktraver at aapaport.com. That's K Traver at AAPA Ports.org. <laughs> 
Farmers and ranchers are the hardest working people on earth and deserve a side-by-side -side vehicle that works just as hard. That's why Yamaha makes the Viking an all-new Viking 6, the world's first true three and six person UTVs assembled in America. Ranked number one in drivetrain durability, Viking outworks and outclasses the competition in features, comfort, and off-road capability. For more, visit YamahaViking.com. Most dependable claim based on a 2013 Yamaha Source side-by-side -side owner study. Hey, when you're in business, you have to make a lot of tough choices. So let's talk about an easy one, your workers' comp coverage. If you're a propane or butane dealer or operator, you need to join the Lone Star Energy Safety Group through Texas Mutual Insurance Company. As a member, you'll automatically get a discount on your premium, plus you can earn double dividends that'll go straight into your pocket. It's the easiest decision you'll ever make. Find out more at texasmutual.com slash Lone Star Energy. And we're back. You're listening to in the Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Jason Modlin, the president of Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. Jason, I want to take uh, take us back a little bit because we've we've been here before. It always actually uh, happens. This prices go up, they go down, and it's by what's happening, uh, who's in office, what's happening in the world. Um, and we can see now with the invasion of Ukraine from Russia, um, a recession, the Biden administration that's not oil and gas friendly. I think the American consumer is starting to see this is really going to have a, a lasting and, and, and hurtful impact on their pocketbook, at least. But, but take us back to OPEC Plus. The last time they did something close to taking some barrels off, um, you, you remember it kind of imploded a lot of the energy sector, especially here in Texas. Can you remind us what happened there? Well, sure. I, I, you're you're largely referring to the price war between Saudi Arabia and Russia, and, and I think uh, while energy costs are certainly up uh, significantly, um, in, inflationary pressures across the board are really what is hurting American consumers. Um, uh, when when your basket of goods at the grocery store is constantly growing by 16 percent double digit uh inflation um uh it, that, that's just that is a recipe for uh lower wages uh and, and really harming um americans here at home um so on on fuel um you are absolutely right at the start of 2020 um while covid was a glimmer it wasn't quite the uh, uh global pandemic that, that we soon experienced and uh, Russia and Saudi Arabia were in the midst of a price war. Um, uh, Saudi Arabia was trying to stabilize prices, um, and and Russia was wanting to ramp up production. Um, and uh, 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 unfortunately for Russia, um, uh, Saudi Arabia had by far the the reserve capacity, and so when Russia was hoping to increase their production quota and capture uh, more sales. Uh, Saudi Arabia, to keep them in check, ramped up their production. And so then they both uh, were flooding the market, essentially dumping oil and gas uh, into the market. And uh, you'll recall that uh, off our coastlines in, in February and March, we had all of these tankers starting to stack up. Um, and that was Russian and Saudi Arabian crude being dumped into the global market. Um, uh, and, and, and then 
something that they never anticipated, uh, the COVID lockdowns, uh, which, which basically eviscerated demand. Everyone stayed in their homes. They stopped going to the gas station. They stopped uh, utilizing uh, jet fuel and other types of uh, distillates. And so we, we really had a cratering there uh, in April 2020 here in the United States of WTI going negative for the first time ever. And so, Jason, that kind of brings me to where we are when OPEC plus, I think, what I've kind of seen is that what you said earlier, they started with, well, we might start here, we might start there. The, the administration then started back with some double talk and uh, pretty much pushed back on them. And here, here's where we are. But I guess what I want to know is we have uh, lost uh Russian product. We're in a recession. We have inflation. Uh, we have a war on oil and gas of just taking a lot off the market. Um, and, and that's coming from, we're not holding federal leases. Uh, we are, uh, we have been for quite some time, a long time, been losing barrels from our refinery capacity. Um, the, now we see the financial institutions uh, to the tune of 1,485 institutions representing $39.2 trillion in assets worldwide, they've become to start de-infesting fossil fuels. And I wonder at what point are we not recognizing, uh, we're not building enough, and uh, are, are we building enough? But I don't think we're building enough. And Yeah, no, I, we're definitely not building enough. Um, I, what I would say is that we have massive government distortion of the market. Uh, you, you touched on Saudi Arabia, uh, but then I, I touched on Iran and Venezuela earlier. Those barrels are still making their way onto the market, uh, but they're doing so at a dramatically discounted rate because buyers – uh, are unable to purchase them because there are existing U.S. economic sanctions against them. Um, and so instead, those barrels are going to the Taliban. Those barrels are going to China, um, and they're being purchased at, at discounted rates. Right. And that affects our market here. That affects other uh, allies around the world that, that can't sell their product to those countries because they're being undercut um, by these... Uh, if you will, counterfeit or smuggled barrels out of these countries that have economic sanctions in place. Uh, Venezuela, we have a problem with a socialist dictator there in Maduro. Um, and, and so you have these incredible challenges, while at the same time, you have countries in Europe, countries here in the uh, governments here in the uh, politicians here in the United States that are openly advocating for divesting from oil and gas, from uh, withholding investments in pipelines and refinery infrastructure. And, and what it's resulting in is making those barrels more expensive to produce, making those barrels more expensive to refine. And that's ultimately raising costs on, on consumers. Um, and, and it's counterproductive. Last mm -hmm. year, Congress passed a, 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 an infrastructure package to build more roads. One of the byproducts of refining oil is asphalt. Uh, that then goes into paving those roads. If, if we don't have that raw material, we can't build roads. Um, and so by raising those costs uh, exorbitantly, um, they undercut uh, their ability to build roads and do other types of projects.
Well, Jason, when we get back, I want to uh, talk a little bit about the price of natural gas as well and the investment in the, uh, as you were alluding to, we're, we're trying to help our allies, Europe, uh, in the LNG market. And I want to talk on that when we return for break. If you're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, we'll be right back. Are you a business owner feeling overwhelmed where to begin your business's online presence? Maybe you've spent thousands of dollars in the past just to be highly disappointed with the results. We understand because we were once you. Since then, we decided to hire the very best experts to help us and you. Let us send you our business profile that will quickly show you your Google business rankings in these five areas. Reputation, ratings online, website, advertising and social media and search engine optimization all of these areas really affect how google ranks your entire listing so if ranking on page one is your goal pick up the phone and call us now 210-240-7188 or simply go to shalemag.com slash business profile we'll be in contact with you within 24 hours once again pick up the phone and call us now 210-240-7188 or simply go to shalemag.com that's s-h-a-l-e-m-a-g.com slash business profile start dealing with a company you can trust and always find And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Jason Modlin, the president of Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. Jason, can you give us an update on, um, so Suki, who is uh, the uh, chairman of uh, Tellurian, he's the executive chairman, he was recently quoted as saying that um, the days of four and five dollars to transport natural gas, which has always been a, a, a really cheap commodity and in abundance. They're looking at it now and saying that that price could go somewhere from 10 to 12. And the consumer needs to understand that if that's the type of investment, it's going to double, then you can expect a lot higher prices um, when you for your utility bills uh, and in, in the natural gas area. So I want to get your opinion on where are we with LNG exports, the facilities that are coming out this administration? I know we've had a few. Are we expecting more? And what can the consumer see as we start heading into um, the holiday season? Do you see that um, natural gas, are we going to see any kind of uh, a price? Um, where are the prices going to go? Are we going to have any savings or is it just going to continue to get worse? Yeah, we, we have seen natural gas prices um, uh, get pr pretty high here in, in the United States. They approached nine dollars. Uh, uh, thankfully, uh, now they're, they're they're back down to about seven dollars uh, in MMBTU. Um, but compare that to Europe, uh, where you regularly have thirty to forty dollar uh, MMBTU, or in Japan, uh, where you uh, approach ninety dollars, sometimes even close to a hundred dollars in MMBTU. That's a remarkable uh, uh, price and really shows uh, both the demand, but also the security aspect that they want to be able to rely on uh, natural gas. Natural gas uh, can be stored underground, can be stored in these large, very large tanks uh, and then be accessed through the winter. Um, and that's part of the, the reason that we have such a strong demand in Europe is because they've been cut off from uh, Russia in, in both the um, 
uh, pipelines that, that were connected into Germany. Um, and they really haven't invested in the North Sea, uh, which used to be one of the largest uh, gas producing fields in the world um, uh, because of their environmental policies wanting to get away from oil and gas. Um, and so we need to continue um, to develop here in the United States. We have some of the largest reserves of natural gas in the world in the Northeast, in the Marcellus, and, and yet we don't have pipelines that go all the way into New York or go all the way up to Maine. And so many times consumers up there pay the same prices as Europeans uh, because they're competing for the same LNG deliveries as folks in Europe um, uh, to get those LNG deliveries into New York City, get them into Maine. Um, and, and, and that's just, that, that's crazy. You're, you've got a border, <laughs> just a political border between Texas and Pennsylvania uh, that refuses to develop uh, their Marcellus resources and capture that natural gas. Um, uh, it's far cleaner to produce it here in the United States, consume it here in the United States, than to load it on a tanker, uh, chill it, uh, shipped around the world and then unloaded again. Uh, a great stat, not from uh, uh, Suki, but from one of his competitors in Chenier, that each uh, shipment of LNG that leaves the port of Corpus Christi keeps 1 million Europeans warm for one month. And we should not uh, lose sight of that, that this is absolutely critical to keeping people warm, uh, keeping economies going, um, and, and that's the importance of it. Yeah. And you know what, Jason, when I said that question or asked you that question, I probably should have cleaned it up a little bit because I know the listener might have, I might have confused them of our natural gas. The lights here are very different than the LNG of exporting that we're helping our allies. But their prices, just to you know, give our listeners an idea, they're paying way, way, way more than we are. And we don't like the prices here right now because of the policies and all of the bureaucracy red tape that's coming out. It's getting harder to get it to the market. I can't even imagine what Europe is paying, and it's only scheduled to get worse for them. So Yeah, they're paying three to four times more than us, and Asia is paying nine to ten times more than us. Uh, that's, the, uh, elections, that's, that's the difference. Elections matter. I want to talk about Joe Manchin and his uh, trying to put some proposal on permitting forward again. So I'd like for you to tell us about that. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back. The annual AAPA Conference and Expo is coming up in Orlando, Florida, October 16th through the 19th, as seaport leaders and marine professionals will gather for networking, technical, and policy sessions. As the seaport's main event of the year, the AAPA Conference and Expo will provide access to the industry's top decision makers, professionals, and experts. If you or your company are interested in sponsoring this year's event, contact Kevin Traver at ktraver at aapaports.com. That's Traver at aapaports.org. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest today is uh, Jason. My guest today is Jason Modlin, the president of Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. Jason, part of your organization uh, works uh, with Washington, D.C., our elected officials down there, in really helping them understand how their policies really 
impact us mainstream, the consumer. Um, some time back, um, when we were talking about the Inflation Reduction Act, Je uh, Senator Joe Manchin was promised from the Biden administration a, a bill that would streamline the regulatory red tape that usually happens to build a pipeline here in the United States. Uh, I want you to give us an update that what happened to that bill first before we move into the new stuff that he's working on. Well, you're absolutely right. The Inflation Reduction Act that passed earlier this uh, fall um, uh, had with it a caveat that um, uh, Joe Manchin would be able to come back with his permitting reform bill. Permitting reform is essential here in the United States uh, to streamlining projects building not only pipelines, uh, but also transmission lines uh, that, that can move renewable uh, energy, um, uh, but then a number of other port projects and things of that nature. They're really people investing in capital intensive projects need uh, anticipated timelines that are understandable um, and still meet environmental regulations, but, but to do so um, in a predictable fashion. Um, and unfortunately, our, our process is broken and it affects not only uh, oil and gas and other types of fossil fuel projects, uh, but also these alternatives like wind and solar. So um, uh, Senator Manchin uh, uh, rolled out that bill. Um, and uh, uh, unfortunately, the, the politics of the moment uh, tanked it. Um, uh, he was unable to get Republican support. Uh, Republicans thought it did not go far enough. And he could he was unable to get Democratic support. Democrats were disappointed um, that they uh, were were being held uh, to this uh, deal that uh, they didn't sign off on. And certainly the progressive caucus in the House um, uh, had had stated that they were going to oppose final passage. Uh, Chuck Schumer, the, the Senate Majority Leader, had tied it to the continuing resolution, meaning uh, the, the continued budget resolution, meaning that government would close if the bill did not pass. Uh, that was certainly a position that Senator Schumer and the president did not want to be in is shutting down government. Uh, and so they asked Senator Manchin to remove his bill and, and he did so from that continuing resolution. So as uh, it's a wonder that anything gets done uh, or bills get passed in Washington, D.C. So let's fast forward and talk about um, the new proposed permitting uh, proposal reform bill that he has. How is he, is there a chance he's going to get this through? Um, is it, uh, give us an update on what the, what is the industry thinking that uh, is going to happen with Senator Manchin, his new it, it is it is very unclear uh, what Congress is able to do uh, in this remaining time before the next Congress comes in in January. There are a couple of must-pass uh, provisions, whether they relate to the Defense Department, whether they relate to some other parts of government, that potentially he could tie his permitting reform bill to. Uh, certainly Republicans um, looking at the prospect that they could have uh, the majority in the House, that they possibly could have uh, a majority in the Senate are, are less inclined um, to participate in, in delivering 
one more win uh, to Senator Manchin this session. Um, but uh, uh, we hope that they continue moving forward and, and working together. Um, both parties agree that uh, bureaucracy, bureaucracy run amok uh, is stopping these types of projects. Um, and so hopefully, um, whether it's a mansion bill now or a Shelley Capito bill uh, in the spring, um, either way, uh, it can move forward and, and move forward uh, uh, quickly um, and the president will sign it. Jason, I just wanted to ask a question about, so I want our listeners to really understand, I don't, none of, no one in the energy industry is opposed to uh, renewables, uh, electric vehicles, um, solar, wind, nuclear, uh, hydrogen. I think what I hear the overall from most of all of the association's presidents like yourself, rather Mike Summers from API, is everybody is kind of saying the same thing. We need them all. We support them all. And I've seen the energy industry in the last five years really diversify in many ways of um, the uh, EMPs, our midstream companies are diversifying and moving into greener, and they're also learning how to do things a whole lot more uh, efficient uh, and greener as well. But I guess I want I want to ask you for an update because I, I read an article the other day and it was discussing how um, there's no possible way. So in in the uh, Inflation Reduction Act bill, we we knew that there was a lot. Of stuff in there that was pie in the sky. And I think the EV transition was one of those. What is your thoughts on the electric vehicle trans, uh, transition? And, and now what's coming to light that, how do we do this? It's, it's also kind of like when, he, when the Biden administration told our allies that we would provide them more you know, natural gas with Russia's coming off, and we couldn't do that either. So I want your opinion oh, on it, it's disappointing when energy policy is simplified to uh, a bumper sticker or you have the transportation secretary say, if you don't like gas prices, go out and buy a, a $60,000 vehicle uh, and just plug it in um, when electricity prices are up as well. Um, and, and so really the, the bottom line numbers are that we are going to grow our energy demand uh, over the next 30 years. And we're gonna do that by at least 50% is the minimum amount that we will need uh, to maintain our economy um, is growing that by 50%. You also have areas of the country like the Permian Basin uh, or like uh, our, our urban areas that know that their power demand is going to double and triple just with newer technologies coming on board. In the case of the Permian Basin, they are absolutely right, trying to be more efficient with their production. Part of being more efficient with your production is moving from diesel or natural gas fired uh, generators over to the electricity grid. It's both cleaner, but in some cases more reliable. Um, and so that that is a positive thing that they're moving forward, but that means double the amount of electricity demand here in our urban areas. If we have uh, Tesla walls or go ahead. Hang on. We're going to take a quick break. When we return, um, we're going to pick up the subject. We've got to take a quick break. You're listening to In the Old Patch Radio Show. And we'll be right back. 
Farmers and ranchers are the hardest working people on earth and deserve a side-by-side -side vehicle that works just as hard. That's why Yamaha makes the Viking an all-new Viking 6, the world's first true three- and six-person UTVs assembled in America. Ranked number one in drivetrain durability, Viking outworks and outclasses the competition in features, comfort, and off-road capability. For more, visit YamahaViking.com. Most dependable claim based on a 2013 Yamaha Source side-by-side -side owner study. We're back. You're listening to a new Old Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Jason Modlin, the president of Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. And Jason, I'm so sorry that I had to interrupt you while we were talking about the electric. You vehicle. and Barry run a tight ship. That's, that's <laughs> absolutely the case. But uh, what I was saying is that the Permian Basin electricity demand is going to double. In our urban areas, our electricity demand is going to triple. Uh, if we have these Tesla walls, if we have these EV vehicles, they're going to require far more electricity. An electric vehicle uh, uh, takes more electricity than your air conditioner does. Um, and so we're going to need more power. Uh, that's just the bottom line. Um, and so the, these ideas that we can get rid of oil and natural gas and coal and we'll simply replace it with wind or solar um, it, it is just a fabrication. One, uh, they don't produce more energy than it costs to put in, um, uh, but we need to be growing right now. And so we need as much energy resources as possible. Um, and, and that will make for a better environment. That'll make for a better economy. Uh, that'll make for lower cost ultimately on consumers. I, I think you wanted me to touch on uh, just where are we going to get these batteries? Where are we going to get these rare earth minerals? Um, uh, we haven't been able to open those type of mines here in the United States. Why? Because we have environmental activists that oppose that type of mining, the open strip mining, the, the very large uh, water resource mining uh, that comes with uh, this type of thing. And so you see it very prominently overseas and in, in foreign countries that don't quite have the same environmental standards in place. Uh, we've all seen the tragic pictures uh, out of Africa of young kids mining for cobalt. Why? Because uh, they, they, it, it's backbreaking labor. Um, and, and, and so Nobody supports that. Nobody supports uh, the, the labor uh, infractions that are occurring or the environmental infractions that are occurring overseas. Um, I, I think the Inflation Reduction Act is trying to spur uh, that type of, of mining here in the United States, um, but it, it, it's not going to happen without permitting reform and without really the administration getting serious about we need more energy, uh, not less. So look, we I feel like we've had a show that's been very informative as we're closing this one out. But I and I just I don't want to seem all doom and gloom. But if you've been listening to the show, the whole show, you know that a lot of this stuff is just impossible it's getting worse it's not getting better and a lot of these policies aren't even possible and they're just going to make a bad situation even worse so that being said you know tell us midterms are around the corner 
uh, OPEC losing uh, or removing 2 million barrels. We have recession, inflation, loss of production in Russia. We have uh, a lot of things going on. Um, higher prices at the gas pump and higher prices at the gas uh, grocery store that are probably only going to go up from here. What do you see happening? I know you. I know you don't have a crystal ball, but what do you see happening in the midterms? How does this go? Because I think, Jason, elections have have consequences, and we need to really get out there and vote for people who stand for for positive energy policy, not pie in the sky. Unless you like paying higher bills everywhere, folks. You know, you want to get informed, and that's why our show's here. What do you see midterms? And who are what's, what are the problems? We we have a lot of very good elected officials uh, here in Texas, both Republicans and Democrats. Um, and, and when they're answering uh, their constituents, when they're looking out for them and their energy bills, their grocery bills, um, uh, we we generally are in alignment with them. Sometimes they vote against us, but uh, uh, generally. Uh, uh, we're in alignment with them because they're moving the ball forward. Um, it's when they start listening to uh, their counterparts in California and in New York uh, that, that really they start to lose their way. Um, I, I, I do think inflation is going to be a, a hot topic for this election. Um, and really, what are uh, folks doing uh, whether it's in D.C., whether it's in uh, here in Texas, uh, to to reduce cost on consumers, um, and and we think uh, in the oil and gas industry, a, a key part of that is in making sure that we can produce here in the United States, uh, provide um, Texans, provide Americans with the low cost energy resources that they need for this economy to grow and to prosper. Um, uh, I, 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 I don't think it's going to be good, uh, for, uh, the president's party, uh, in congressional elections. Um, but that being said, there, there are a bunch of, uh, of good, uh, Texas Democrats that I think, uh, are pro oil and gas, um, and they might, they might surprise some folks. So, uh, we'll, we'll see. It's, it's a few short weeks away. Um, I think this is the last week to register to vote. So uh, if you're not registered to vote, uh, be sure to get out and do that. What about bringing it back to uh, Texas as well? How do you see the governor's race um, and some of the, what are there any races that y'all are looking out and making, trying people in there that are gonna hold good uh, energy policies, which is seriously, that's all I care about. We, that's all we should care about is, is is elected officials that understand the problems and start finding some solutions, not ones that continue to say. For for an example, Jason, when you're saying uh, we don't have cobalt, lithium, and all this stuff to build the EVs, then why are the why are we going down this path when we can't produce that? And, and this is part of the problem: is we need to find elected officials and and put them in office that understand these things before we elect them. Yeah, we've been extremely supportive of Chairman Wayne Christian at the Railroad Commission. I think he's got the right approach uh, in making sure that we, one, uh, harvest the resources that we have here in Texas, uh, that, that we do uh, set high goals and high standards uh, and, and hold 
uh, our operators to account to meet those standards, um, uh, but then to not get um, uh, blindsided by some of these fantasies that uh, you can simply uh, get off oil and natural gas and, and coal, frankly, um, and, and move towards these alternatives um, that really don't provide uh, the same level of reliability uh, that uh, we've, we, we've seen um, from natural gas. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. We've had uh, Commissioner Christian on the show numerous times, uh, an extremely uh, knowledgeable as well as uh, conservative in his views of how to do energy in a way that is efficient as well. So he thinks about the environment, and he also knows a lot about the energy industry. So I couldn't agree with you more. He definitely has my vote. Jason, I want to thank you for joining us on uh, this month's show of In the Oil Patch Radio Show. And we look forward to having you back next month, when you'll give us an update on all things energy that are happening here in Texas and in D.C. Thank you, Kim. Have a great day. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.